You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron and I have one goal. I share this with you all the time. My goal is to make you better so that your practice gets better and your life gets better. And insurance reimbursement is a big deal. It's a moving target. 25 years of me doing this, that game is constantly changing. So I need the help of experts like Dr. Roy Shelburne, who I have on today, who shares the trends in insurance reimbursement. And I ask him to just to dispel a lot of the rumors I hear on the road and what you need to know about getting better reimbursement in dentistry. So do not miss this episode. Hope you enjoy it. We'll see you guys soon. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Best Practices Show podcast, an amazing episode of the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barrett. My job here is one thing, to bring you great thinkers with great information to make your practice and your life better. And today we are going to do exactly that with a good friend of mine, Dr. Roy Shelburne. And Roy's story is amazing. Now, He's not only been a great colleague on the road, I get to meet all these cool speakers and influencers, um, but he's a super, super sharp guy. And he's on the front end of a lot of the, the most difficult game that we have in dentistry, which is trying to figure out the insurance game. I've been doing this for 25 years. That's why I have to surround myself with people like Roy, just so I know what the game looks like. Because the game has new rules. It's constantly changing and tweaking and all that kind of stuff. So, Roy, thank you so much for being on, buddy. Kirk, great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Always great to hang out with you and your uh, your podcast listeners. I get great feedback and have lots of conversations afterwards. So, thank you for connecting with people so that I'm able to uh, share what little bit I know about insurance to maybe maximize their legitimate reimbursement and keep them out of harm's way. So thank you. I appreciate that. You're a humble guy, buddy, because I know for a fact, you know, a ton and you know, a ton more than a lot of us do. And so let's start here, buddy. Cause I always like, we got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of young listeners now, a lot of pre, we even have pre-dental students listening. So it's kind of fun. I want people to know who Dr. Roy Shelburne is. So give us a little bio before we jump into this important topic. <laughs> Oh, the CV that nobody else has or wants. I am, uh, 
dentist, a father, a husband, now a granddad, actually. All, all three of my children have been married for a few years, and all of them had babies. All three of them had babies within seven months. So COVID was horrible for most people and is horrible, but for me, it brought me three grandchildren. So there's a, a silver lining behind that dark cloud. So yeah. Um, and the thing, I guess my claim to fame or infamy is the fact that I'm a convicted felon. I went to prison for healthcare fraud, racketeering and money laundering, and I have devoted myself and I'm passionate about sharing my story and what I've learned because I want to be the last dental professional who goes to prison for ignorance. And I was ignorant. And in order to prepare for the trial, I did a lot of, uh, a lot of research and have after after being released also done a lot of research and just to encapsulate it was a medicaid issue and i was investigated over the course of six years and over those six years i was paid three and a half million dollars for the services that i provided and during the trial in sentencing the government established of the three and a half million dollars that i got that i wasn't entitled to um, it was $17,899.57. That's less than one point one tenth of a percent. So um, learned a lot in the process. I am not proud of the fact, but I feel like I would love to have had the opportunity to be able to listen to some of the issues rather than being ignorant. So I share my story, not because I'm proud of it, because I uh, I want to make sure that I protect and defend other practices out there. So that's that's my goal in life. Um, thank you for allowing me a voice to be able to share that. It's a learning process. And as you mentioned, what you know about dental insurance today, the rules are going to change tomorrow. The codes are going to change tomorrow so that we have to continually keep our focus on understanding and doing it correctly. I didn't submit any of the claims myself. Somebody did it for me, but ultimately as the dentist, I'm responsible for. And even though we were able to go over the same six year period and identify work that I actually did, could have billed for and should have billed for in about the amount $30,000 where they indicated I got 17,000 that I wasn't intent in, intended to get. But um, there's no such thing as a innocent mistake. So learning in the process, sharing that information and spending a lot of time figuring out about insurance and kind of like everybody else beating my head against the wall, trying to figure out why. And sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. So there is good, bad and ugly with reimbursement. And we'll be sharing a little bit of that. Uh, what's on, on the horizon, what's going to be changing, what we can look to happen um, just from a outsider's point of view. I, I not only attend the the dental meetings, the coding committee meeting, but also the meetings that insurance companies have as well to kind of get behind the curtain to look at where where those trends are going as well. Because there's there there's a, a storm that's brewing uh, behind the scenes. I think we need to be aware of moving forward. Yeah, and I want to talk about that storm. And Roy, I just say this about you: you're one of my heroes, man. You took a a really challenging situation, you made good with it, and so. Well, that's only because I have people like you to reach out to support and to encourage. You know, I'm, I'm not here because of anything I did. I'm here because of those people who went before me and are concerned about the people that they are connected with to make sure that they are protected and defended. So thank you for giving me that voice. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I also say this to you as a dentist, if you're listening and you're like, oh, I don't have any of these problems, it is good to see Roy periodically. Let me tell you why. 
Because not only is Roy super smart, but a lot of things we're going to be talking about, he's going to tell you what's happening right now. And it's important to be proactive about these. The other thing you're going to notice when you watch Roy speak is he's a very excellent educator. So you won't be bored for a second. This is not your typical dental education. Like it's going to be woven really well. You'll enjoy the day. I promise you. So make sure you check out Roy. If you haven't had him speak to your study club, what are you thinking? Like you got to have them out just to keep you update. Now I have so many questions for you as we talk about trends and insurance reimbursement. My first one is why the heck would any insurance company invite you? You're out there helping dentists. Like you're from the other side. You teach dentists how to like, if you want to, you could move away from insurance. Why would we invite you and pull back the curtain, show you all this stuff? Insurance companies like to have things done appropriately. It reduces on fraud, waste, and abuse. But it also helps when a claim is submitted that's clean. There are no errors. There are no issues. It saves them money. If they have to pay the claim, if they're obligated to pay the claim, it's easier for them to get all the information they require up front so that they can auto-adjudicate or to pr process it very easily. When it has to go to one of their dental consultants, they have to pay that consultant to review the claim and to contact the dentist. So it's an additional step they have to have a group of dentists that they're paying to be able to do this. And the cleaner the claim that they receive, the easier and less expensive it is for them to go ahead and pay that claim. So they like it. They like claims that are clean. They don't like to have to send it back and ask for other information. It's, it's harder for them and it's more expensive for them. So that's the reason why they're concerned about having it done the right way. And yeah. ultimately those contracts, they're obligated to pay if, if it's under the contract. And honestly, on the other side, if it's something in the contract that is um, not covered, they can't pay that. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I get a lot of questions about, is there the, the crown buildup was absolutely necessary. Why are they not paying for it? It's because the contract, the way it's written, they've automatically made that a part of the crown that comes afterward. And I'm asked, well, is there a way to be able to get this paid? And the, honestly, there, there's not. So many dentists look at the contract and only review the fee schedule and think, okay, I, I can live with this fee schedule. When in fact, there are all kinds of other limitations or restrictions on that plan that have a broader effect on the reimbursement scheme so that they are, aren't aware. It's kind of like, well, this says it's going to pay at this amount. However, there's also a different section in that contract that says, oh, and by the way, under this situation, we can't pay. Under this situation, we can't pay. So like I said, it's, it's kind of understanding first off what the restrictions and limitations, not only in the fee schedule, but also the, the way the contract is, is set up. So yeah. like I said, on both sides, it behooves both the dentist and the insurance company to do it right the first time. Yeah. And let's be honest, like how many times have you seen these contracts? They're still wrapped in plastic. I, two things, the contract primarily is seldom read, or if it's read, it's misunderstood. And secondarily, the contract that you've signed with the insurance company gives them the right to change that contract with 30 days notice. So not only have dentists not read the contract when they signed on originally, those letters that the insurance companies send to their network dentists periodically could have some very significant 
modifications to that contract where they're letting you know it's changing. Right. And the person who gets that letter or the doctor who gets that letter looks at it and goes, this is junk mail, junk dumps it in the right. trash can when the contract has been changed and it's been disclosed in that letter that you haven't read. So number one, you don't know primarily what you signed in the first place. And number two, you don't pay attention to the way it changes as it progresses and moves forward. Yeah. So now, I've actually read several of them, and they use also words like hence, therefore, because of the, <laughs> like, what does here to be holding? Like, there's a lot of words like I got to use a dictionary just to understand yeah. a couple of these sentences. And so let's not go there. But like, you, you, you know, where I'm going is like, sometimes they don't. Now, I have, again, I have so many questions. So if you guys are listening, stay with me on this, um, because Roy knows what he's talking about. So as the time of uh, at, right now, it is 2022, as we are shooting this interview, if I'm a mature dentist, or even if I'm a dentist coming into the world of dentistry, give us a little history lesson of where we are at on this map, like what's happened? And where are we at today? So in terms of when I first opened my practice in 1981, it was a typical insurance indemnity plan, which means that you did the dental work, you sent the claim to the insurance company and they paid 80%. There was no such thing as a fee schedule. Those plans now are non-existent. What has happened is the PPO world has increased and there are two reasons for that, money and money. Number one, the the people who buy the insurance, whether that's the employer or whether that is the individual who buys insurance for their family or themselves, you look to be able to save money. And the insurance carriers, in order to be competitive, they also have to provide products that are less expensive than their competitors. And in order to do that, the PPO world became um, something that we have seen initiated and to grow because it does it does provide a savings to both those people who are buying the insurance coverage and those insurance companies who are selling them because if they're low and competitive, they have more of a market to be able to, to, to send that. So what we've seen is typical indemnity plan, which there were no limitations, no restrictions. You send it in as paid to today's world where probably 85 to 90% of the plans that are sold today are PPO plans. So if the listeners are feeling more pressure, more patients asking, do you take my plan? It's because of that progression from starting out at a very low frequency to now where it is the 800 pound gorilla, where more patients, many more patients have the PPO plans than they do the, the non-PPO plans. So right. there's where the, the push is. And, you know, the, the, the concern is we're talking about inflation and how it is now increasing at a, um, with their not foreseen rate, maybe what, what was it in the eighties that it was similar to this? Right. But now it, do the costs for dentists go down? No. Absolutely not. As far as you have to pay teams more money, we have to be competitive in the employment market today. So, um, and, as far as the supplies, they've gone out the roof. And what has been the trend with reimbursement? Going down. Has it increased? No, no, you're right. Absolutely, it's going down. How do you make that work? How do you work harder and make less? On volume. So, yeah, honestly. And how many additional patients do you have to see? And what's your, what's your capacity? Right. 
And I see dentists scratching their head and go, I'm working harder now than I ever before and ask them a question. Do you have room to add another 10 percent of number of patients in your practice to be able to make the same amount of money because they've reduced the reimbursement 10 percent? So you're going to have to do 10 percent more. Do you have the bandwidth to be able to do that? And they're going, no, I can't. Right. So are you going to have to spend some time figuring out where you are, your budget, your overhead? and the write-offs that you're gonna have to take and do some very distinct focus on your your numbers to determine whether or not you need to be able to be in network or whether or not it just impossible to be able to make that work. Yeah, now I have so many thoughts on this too, Roy. Like if you're a young dentist listening, do not try to figure this out yourself. You're climbing a mountain that is very tall and very complex. And a lot of people that climb mountains that are tall and complex use what are called Sherpas. Now that's a controversial word. I get it, but you need an expert, somebody who can help you navigate, whether it be through a forest, up a hill. Like this is a constant thing. Now I don't want to freak anybody out that's listening to this, but 25 oh, I do. <laughs> I, I, I know you do. And I don't want to beat the fear drum. I just want to beat the reality drum is Roy. Like this is a challenge for me. I coach a lot of practices that want to be fee for service. And I talked yeah. to a lot of young dentists and then this word called shared agreements came on the scene several years ago. I'm like, what the heck is that? And then I had to do some homework. And now many dentists don't even know that they're involved with these shared or rental agreements. Can you shed some light on what that is? Sure. That, in that envelope that I told you coming from the insurance company, they probably are conveying the fact that they've shared you. Basically, they can sell you to a network and you are ultimately responsible to provide care in all those network plans. And here's a take home for those people who are attending. If you're in one of those umbrella or network plans, is there a way to be able to maximize your reimbursement? Absolutely, there is. So say the group has eight plans that are part of that umbrella. And if you go in network with all eight, the group will reimburse you based on the least fee schedule. So of the eight plans, the one has the least fee schedule, all of them then adopt this because you are in network with all of them and directly with that plan who has the lowest fee schedule. And all of them will reimburse you at the least amount of the group, that fee schedule. However, if you do a little bit of research and look at the fee schedules for all eight, come out of network with all of them except the one that is highest, what you're gonna accomplish is you'll be paid at the highest fee schedule and you'll still be considered in network with the other because that's the way the network works. Hmm. So if you're, in, if, if you're in network with one, it makes you in network with all of them. However, if you only have the agreement with the one that's the highest, they honor the highest fee schedule. So is there a way to play the game? Absolutely there is, but you have to be able to do the work to understand and to determine which is highest and then work through the process of coming out of network with those that direct network. You'll be in network because you're affiliated with the other, but it's a way of increasing a reimbursement. And I've seen as much as 20% difference between the highest and the lowest. Wow. So you would have boasted your bottom line by that 20% if you do that. Yeah. And so my, my findings, and this is completely anecdotal, is that most of the dentists don't even know they're on them. They'll go, yeah, I'm part of one. And then they look at there. And then number two, the game is complex. So what dentists, what I know now is that dentists have to learn how to read EOBs when they never knew, they didn't even know what they were in the past, sure. just looking for abnormalities and things like sure. that. Do you find that to be true also? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, they, they, 
as far as the EOB, it for I think it's meant to be obtuse right. to be able to not follow. The more confused you are, the less likely you are to go ahead and counter to appeal that denial. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take another segue off that. Besides being in network with those PPO plans, many times you are also made part of a discount plan network. So a patient comes in with a discount card. It's not an insurance card but it is a discount plan and they go, oh, you're, you're listed as a provider in my discount plan. And the provider or the front, front desk go, we never signed up for that. Oh, by the way, that contract that you had with that insurance company made a modification so they now make you available to the discount network. You didn't sign the contract, you didn't go in, but the, they alerted you that they are gonna sell you to this discount plan. So not only does that put you in a network of PPOs, it also reduces your fee for patients who have the discount card that you've never signed up for. So got you's all over the place in dentistry and insurance and reimbursement now, absolutely. And as the point you made, Kirk, you have to be aware. Dentists, yeah. you have to be aware. And the people who are submitting the plans and are negotiating that whole crazy maze there needs to be honest feedback. You need to talk back and forth. There needs to be an opportunity for them, that person who is doing the processing, who when they got that gotcha, that's a that's a conversation between owner doctor and that business person to figure out, okay, how are we going to handle this? Yeah. Sometimes you can opt out. Sometimes sometimes you can't. Sometimes when you get that letter, you can call and opt out, but you do, can't do that if you haven't read the letter and understand what they're now making you responsible for. So. You know, it's ignorance is no excuse. And on, honestly, the bottom line, you're going to leave a whole lot of money on the table if you don't pay attention to. 100%. The other thing that will happen is as you start to pay attention, you're going to get angry. And so <laughs> you will. And this is what happens. Now, I'll tell you, if you're a listener, don't don't go there. Like it's it's a game that you have to figure out, like, how much do I want to participate? Because before long, you look up and you're like, I'm participating. In, and your team isn't really well educated because you don't educate them and you play the game. Now, the other thing that exists, too, and Roy, tell me if you see this, is that the temptation to play the game back in an un unlawful way is there. And now I don't see it a ton, but I hear stories like a good dentist done bad in New Jersey, like just got angry and decided to fight the insurance company themselves because they got, and that's when you get in trouble. And I even have young dentists that I'm coaching right now. They get that letter saying, we're coming to audit you. And they're like, listen, we're doing everything right. And they're terrified. They live yeah. in fear of this letter. So help us sort that. Okay. So audits typically are generated as a result of the practice or doctor not being what's normal. Right. Normal definition is insurance companies, the only thing that they really share among one another is their submission frequencies. And there's actually a company where they send all their data to from all the insurance companies. They send the data into this clearinghouse and they generate a bell curve of averages. So they will be able to tell you in the state, in the city, in the country, what the averages are. For example, um, general practitioner doing extractions, the number of surgical extractions as opposed to simple extractions, typically in the 30% area, surgical as opposed to uh, simple extractions. Insurance companies look at that, and if you move to 
40% of your extractions are surgical or 50% of your extractions are surgical, that's going to send up a little red flag to the insurance company. And if it's not too off, they will may send a letter that says, oh, by the way, we've done an analysis and you're doing more uh, surgical extractions than any other general practitioners of the area. Just wanted to alert you. They will not ask you to respond in most cases, but they put you on alert. And they do that as a result of doing that analysis and where you are in that bell curve of averages. They're, in my experience, although they say it's a random audit, I don't think I don't think that's a thing. It's right. an audit that is caused, triggered by being um, unusual in your submissions, and the insurance companies view that very, very, um, very specifically, very succinctly. So any kind of de deviation, and as far as the audit goes. <clears throat> In today's world, for example, that doctor who has done 50% surgical and 50% simple extractions, and that is off enough that the insurance company is going, there's something really strange going on here. We're going to go ahead and do an audit. And if you're in network, you're obligated by the contract to cooperate. If you're out of network, it takes a um, court order for you to be forced to participate. But if you don't, if you don't cooperate, it's going to change your life and your relationship with the insurance company out of network moving forward. What they're going to do is put you on focused review and everything you submit to them from that point moving forward. It's going to have a huge amount of scrutiny. They're going to look at everything and you're going to have to support the simplest treatment with all kinds of documentation. So understand, would I suggest that you do cooperate? Yes, because ultimately, if you say no, that would suggest to the insurance company you're doing something funky you don't want them to see. Yeah. But on the other side, if you're in network, you're obligated. And the example I used with extractions, 50% of them are surgical and 50% are a simple extraction. So the insurance company does an audit. They pull 20 charts of the patients that you've done surgical extractions on. They do a review and determine that 40% of the surgical extractions that you submitted are not documented appropriately to support the need for the surgical extraction. So what they do is they use that 40% to extrapolate. So they look at all the surgical extractions you've done over the course of seven years, generally seven years, because the statute of limitations is seven years. They're going to ask for 40% of the overpayment for those surgical, surgical extractions done over that past seven years. And I see dentists being requested uh, to provide reimbursement for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So they use that extrapolation for formula. They don't have to go back over the whole time and see and review every single patient. If they develop that percentage, they can use that going over the past. So be aware that audits are probably not random and that there can be significant repercussions as a result of anything that you find inappropriately. It doesn't mean that you're, you've done anything wrong. It probably means that you haven't documented appropriately to substantiate the medical need for that surgical extraction. And for my coding geeks out there, you probably know one of two things have to happen to elevate a simple extraction to surgical, that would be either the tooth had to be sectioned or number two, that bone had to be removed. And if the clinical record does document that and support it, then the insurance company can't say, well, you know, I don't see anything here that supports that information. Your clinical record does. So a way of being able to put down a foundation that supports the billing and coding and support and protect you moving forward. Yeah. And I want to come back to that. And, I, you know, one of the things that we found, and this is like, a kind of a fun thing for us is our clients get audited quite a bit. 
you know, because we get a dentist who's doing 70,000 a month and all of a sudden they're doing 110 and now things don't look normal. You know, you're, you're doing more procedures now there's in, so that's it. So if you're a dentist on the path of being more comprehensive, you can expect that you could expect to probably hear that. Now I want to go back to the reimbursement thing. I I mean, I'm not kidding, buddy. I could make this a two hour show. I want you to dispel the rumor because this is a hot, this is a heated argument. And this has been going on since the day I got in dentist, the reimbursement factors, you know, claims get filed. Then they used to get lost in the mail and dentists would go, you know how many pieces of mail I've lost in my life? Zero, you know? And now the truth of it is, is insurance companies are under a lot of microscopes that they can just, you know, the joke was, oh, they're taking one out of every four envelopes and just throw them in the trash. They, you know, I, I want you to talk about that side because you got both sides. Most people yeah, yeah. are like, yeah, I'd like to say that. But the truth is they can't do that because they go down in a heartbeat. Um, what are your thoughts? And, you, yeah. and I know you don't have a filter, so you don't care. Just go there. <laughs> I really don't care. Uh, as far as insurance companies disposing of claims, I've not been witness to that. However, if there are issues in submissions, that may kick that claim out. So if you've got um, a wrong identifying number, a wrong birthday, generally there's something that will cause that claim to drop. And insurance companies and the people that are working there are like everybody else. They are covered up. So in terms of them working through those, it will be on the bottom of the to-do list because it is tedious and it, it ultimately it's not on the, on the priority list. Mm-hmm. So in order to minimize that from happening. Number one, make sure that all the information is correct, that you're sending it to the right um, email address or the clearinghouse has all the information in and the clearinghouse is actually moving those forward. Some of the clearinghouses will actually scrub claims so that there are the information that needs to be added before they're sent off. And a lot of times that information is not opened and reviewed by that person in the dental office that knows they need to provide this and such before it moves forward. It's not lost. The insurance company may have never gotten it because with a good electronic clearinghouse, they need to scrub those. They need to kick out those that are not going to be paid because that's going to streamline the process. However, you need to pay very close attention if they're doing that to go back in and provide them the information they need to go ahead and forward that information to the insurance carrier because any small thing will kick it out. And you need there again, just like the letters and the emails from the insurance companies, you need to pay attention to those too. It may not be the insurance company, it may be something that the clearinghouse needs, or it may be something that you, the clearinghouse did go ahead and move forward, but it didn't have correct information. So that drops that out and it takes a much longer time for it to be processed. And if you get that thing that says they haven't received it, if there are electronic attachments, the electronic attachment will be able to uh, be reviewed to find out if it was received and when and if it was open. So that, that if they say that they didn't receive it, if you do a little bit of um, pre-preparation for that call to the insurance carrier and they say, we didn't receive that, you can go, uh-uh, no, you received it. Yeah. Here is the EFT um, number attached to, and this is when it was open. So would you like to go ahead and tell me again that you didn't receive that? you would be surprised at the number of times I go, oh, um, uh, let me check again. And, oh, we did find it. So, like I said, be armed and dangerous when you're uh, communicating with the insurance company. Be prepared. Don't be angry. Mm-hmm. It's not going to help anything. Just be very matter-of-fact and be 
be that office. And to be honest with you, the insurance companies do keep a track log. So if you're that if you're that practice who will be the bulldog, if they have a claim that's kind of on the fence, it's kind of like, yeah, this could go in a w- either way. Rather than denying it, they're going to go, oh, that's that office. We're going to go ahead and process this because we're going to have to walk work through all this to make sure that it does get paid. So, you know, you think the insurance company is this big, unknowledgeable group, but no, honestly, you have a ranking with the insurance company so they know who you are and the likelihood of you following up and making sure that it's paid when, especially if there's a little bit of a um, could be this or could be that, they're going to give you benefit of the doubt because they don't want to deal with it. For sure. They have customers and they know how much volume their customers do and blah, 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 blah. Now on that note too, I love this because I can just ask you to dispel these rumors. (laughs) Let's say I'm a 32 year old GP, Roy, just getting started. You know, the rumor out there is like the DSOs right around the corner. They get better reimbursements of me. You know, I hear they get like twice or three times what I might get. Is that true or not true? Maybe. Um, and one of the things that your general 42 year old who is in practice does not know with several of the insurance carriers, you can negotiate the fees. Now that DSO has a huge number of doctors and it may be more beneficial, especially if they have a low volume of dentists in a particular area that are signed up for a plan. They may, it may be important for them to do a little bit of negotiating with that fee to make sure that they do bring that group in and they have a larger um, group that they can, their patients can be um, treated by, but nothing says that you can't do the same negotiation. There are people out there that are great at negotiating in doctors' behalves. Now, Delta's not going to do any modifications at all. Delta's Delta. A lot of the blues don't like to negotiate unless there is a very small number of in-network doctors in a particular area, or if they're trying to move into a new area, then there's there's a greater chance that you can negotiate. But there again, don't think, you know, my grandmother, I love her to this. She passed away several years ago. Farm lady, she raised eggs, chickens and sold eggs to the grocery store back in the days. And she negotiated everything. So use that to leverage and she could buy beef, um, hamburger, and they would give her a discount because she negotiated that. We have lost sight of being able to do that. We live in a world where things can be negotiated and the fee schedule that's presented is the worst case scenario. It's like trading cards. They're going to come at at you with an offer the least beneficial to you. And that's the starting point. So there again, will insurance companies negotiate? Many of them will. So if, if you haven't had an increase lately, might be a good time to be able to visit that again. And honestly, the insurance companies are aware of the fact that there's inflation and it's harder. And I've seen more dentists come out of network in the past year and a half than I've seen in the entire prior 15, 20 years. And that's because you only change when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. And they have brought the pain because their fee schedule has not changed. Yeah. So they're seeing a lot of people migrate out and they're kind of shuffling around trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to handle this? And certainly reducing the fees any even more is not going to help anybody. Right. So, and I completely agree with you. In the last two years, I've seen more people drop all of their insurances because they're just done. They're just yeah. done. And they've been doing the math. Now, I'll also speak to this side of things. We got a lot of young dentists with 
very, very busy practices. And yeah, they complain about their reimbursement, but their regular fee schedule is in the 40th percentile in the zip code. I'm like, dude, your fees are so low to begin with. Like, stop, you know, like you've got to look at this all as an entrepreneur from top to bottom. Like you got to look at everything. And I do agree. You can't put your hands, you can't put your future. If you have two decades in front of you, you can't put your future in the hands of an insurance company and, uh, no. in the hopes of ramping it up and doing well, right? Yeah. The scariest thing is I see insurance companies dictating treatment by what they reimburse. And that is scary. And, and okay, wait, go bad. back. You go back bad to that. Me. Explain yeah, yeah. that. So, for example, um, when I do audits for practices, trying to help them get better at what they do, I'll see a notation in the clinical record that says, x-rays are not due. And my hope is when I ask that person who made that entry, what does this mean that they're gonna say, doctor reviewed the patient's history, risk factors, and determine at this point, the patient would not benefit from radiographs at this time. When I ask the question, what does it mean x-rays are not due? Kirk, what do you think the answer is? Insurance won't cover it. Yeah, exactly. So what is dictating the treatment for that patient? What will pay? What the plan will pay? The insurance reimbursement. So whether you want to admit it or not, you're allowing the insurance company to dictate to you how to treat your patients. Whoa. How wrong is that? That, like I said, if you're tempted in your practice to determine what is necessary and what to recommend to that patient being based on what the reimbursement is, you are so wrong. Right. And then and honestly, I'm going to go a little bit further. You don't please. need to be in this business. No, you don't. You don't. And I'll even go a little bit further from the psychological piece. The deep subjective pain that you feel as a dentist, that's when you start hating what you're doing. It's like, exactly. this is not why I went into this business. This, this person truly could benefit from this. And now I'm not calling the shots, nor are they. And that's no fun at all. And to your point, the same pain is what might encourage a dentist to do something that's a little bit right. um, dark in terms of their billing and coding or what they're doing as far as the billing to the insurance company. So like I said, it, it's if you're under that pressure where you are either modifying your treatment based on what the insurance is going to pay for or changing your documentation and your billing such that it doesn't meet standard of care in terms of legal submitting those claims you're you need to reassess and reevaluate because i can tell you none of it's worth it yeah do what's do what's right there's no there's no good reason for doing a wrong thing right now this podcast is always about helping you so if you're listening and you're in a miserable place right now and we're 36 minutes into this we're going to help you out of this so roy let's say i'm a young dentist and watch it like let's talk about the three things people could do better to improve the, or or three errors people make or three missed opportunities when it comes to reimbursement now i'm going to volunteer one and you tell me if it's not even on your top three i think that you mentioned it earlier it's the documentation i mean if they just learned Number one, read the contract. Number two, learned how to properly document by going to your stuff. That would fix a lot of things, right? Absolutely would. Yeah, documentation is going to help to maximize reimbursement because it gives that billing person the ammunition they need to submit a claim that is bulletproof. Another thing that you need to understand is there are 
as far as optional services and limitations in terms of what the insurance can limit you to, insurance company cannot dictate to you the treatment that you provide the patient. Absolutely, it's inappropriate. They can't do that legally. But I get a lot of conversations from dentists who have a plan that is paying the least expensive alternative benefit. That's the leak clause. For example, if you're missing tooth number 19 and the insurance you, patient wants an implant, a, um, a butt and crown, and the insurance companies were only going to pay for the partial, it's considered an optional service to upgrade those. So there are opportunities to be able to do that and have the patient want and receive the treatment that <clears throat> the best treatment they can receive and work with the insurance company to get at least part of the benefit for them. So there are all kinds of ways to be able to do it appropriately, stay within the bounds that you're restricted to and understand that their in insurance companies cannot dictate to you the treatment that you're providing to the patient. And that's, that's a whole nother hour and a half lecture as far as that goes, how you go through the steps to be able to do that. But there again, for that new dentist who's graduating, understand that negotiating this minefield that we have in, in dental billing and coding there are ins and outs, and unless you are willing to do the work to learn and to implement systems that meet the requirements, because there are steps that you need to go through anytime you're doing anything like this, like an optional service thing, um, you need to know your limitations, whether or not the insurance company will accept it. And, you know, the, the, the sweat equity that you put in prior to is going to help you be able to maximize that. And I stress the word legitimate reimbursement. I want you to get every cent that you're entitled to, no more and no less, right. to do it in a way that is well understood by all the team and it protects and defends. I want to be the last person who goes to prison for things that they didn't know or understand. Amen, brother. You are the best. Like what, what other things do you think dentists get wrong when it comes to current reimbursement on PPOs? The fact that they have to be in network. Tell me more. What do you mean by that? Okay. So verbal skills are very important. So you can be out of network and still accept assignment of benefits. So the patient gets benefit of only having to pay the difference and being able to answer that question honestly, but also have the patient understand that you may be out of network directly, but you still accept their insurance and they'll get benefit of that. And you're in an office that will not be restricted to provide only the, the, the very basic bargain basement treatment that they are covered by. So most, most patients understand that if you get a higher level of treatment, it's gonna cost more, but the verbal skills for those people who are answering the telephone need to understand that. So. They, they feel that to be able to work with the insurance and give the patient the benefit of the insurance that they have to be in network, they do not, you don't, don't have to. Yeah. There are ways of being able to, to have the patient understand that you do accept a, uh, assignment of benefits and they only pay the difference. And for example, um, a patient asks, well, why is your dentist not in network? Well, to be honest with you, your plan has limitations and restrictions so that they will only be, reimburse the least expensive treatment. And we feel like you need, want, and deserve better than that. So because our dentist is concerned about you getting the best treatment that you need, they decided to go out of network. Now, do you get benefit of reimbursement? Yes, you'll only pay the difference, yes. But understand that insurance company cannot now tell us what they're gonna pay for, yeah, what they're gonna cover. 
you now have the option of getting the best and more most effective way of being able to do that. For example, if you have cancer treatment and the, the insurance company is not going to pay for the best treatment for you, does it say you only have to get the treatment that they they uh, will pay for? No, you can do anything you want to in terms of being able to do that. Same thing. We want only what's best for you, not what the insurance company says is best for you because they've never seen you. Yeah, I love this. Okay, so now you're the expert, so I, and you're talking my jam now with the verbal skills. Verbal skills matter. Like your team sure. is equipped; they understand this. They can help patients, and Absolutely. so I have a great husband wife practice uh, outside of the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, and they taught me this one. I love it, and so you guys know who you are if you're listening. And uh, they use the word unrestricted provider. Is that like they have patients that, and they often don't accept any insurances at all. And they can still say, yes, you can. Is this appropriate the way I'm saying? It? Yes, you can use your insurance here. Now, let me explain. We are an unrestricted provider. Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. And I would also add to, so they know it's okay. We have several people in our practice with your coverage. And by the way, Mary in our practice will work her behind off to make sure you get every single penny that you're entitled to. Love it. Yeah, so they understand that they're gonna work with the insurance, they're gonna do everything they possibly can to get them that $1,500 that the insurance company allows because the annual maximum has never increased. You know, uh, back in, what is it, the 70s when PPOs, or late 80s, I guess, when PPOs were established, the fee schedules have changed very little. And by the way, the annual maximum is still $1,500, right. which back then would probably restore a good part of the mouth. In today's world, that might restore one too. So, you know. Yeah, I love this. I'm going to have you back again and again. Now, a couple other things that I just love for you to fly right in the eye of the hurricane and dispel any rumors on this is the whole idea. Okay, so I got all this going on. Can I slow my participation down legally in less desirable insurances with my schedule? You know, there's a big heated debate on that. So let's say I'm participating, you know, with four or five plans. Can I slow, you've heard that term, slow down my participation or not schedule new patients from this plan. And everyone says, oh, you got to be careful. The legal wording on this is very dangerous. So I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. Uh, that would be squarely in the language of the contract okay. that is signed. So if the con- most contracts indicate that you cannot discriminate against their insurer. So that being the case, can you treat those people who are covered under that plan different from the other ones? No. no. If you're slowing down your whole practice, yes. But you have to be able to stipulate the you're treating them the same and most contracts that are signed do okay. have that stipulation that you cannot discriminate against their insured and that would be a form of discrimination if you decided to do that so there again if the, if the contract says you can't you can't if it has no language there's a good chance that you can but be careful that was that's that's a, a question for your attorney in your state because states will have different laws regarding the insurance and the way it's administered yeah, absolutely. And dentists are pretty smart. Everyone knows you can't discriminate for any reason whatsoever. And so you treat every patient with the same level of respect. You consider the same type of care. But the argument always comes down to how I schedule. 
you know? So I treat everybody with respect. I give everybody the same option, which is always the best option for their health, but there is no law in the United States that tells me how I can schedule patients. So that becomes a little bit of a, and I I was just curious if you had any thoughts on that, because some dentists are pretty opinion like, and and we've also seen this in some fashion. Some of you that are listening are completely fee for service doctors and you also do Medicare, Medicaid, but you do it on days in which you give back to the profession. It's not necessarily part of your, would you consider that? I mean, what would you say about that, Roy? No, as far as um, if you have a stipulation for this day or this day, so you're, you're fine. You know, as, as far as you treating everybody equally, you can have a schedule that says on this day, we're only going to see Medicare. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can do that. Right. All the other insured patients are on a different day. So that's, that's fine. Okay. So I was just curious about that, but, um, okay. and again, like I, I have so many more questions and I know I got to be respectful of your time. And uh, so any last thoughts you have on insurance reimbursement and what we need to know today? My, my one recommendation, because what's on the horizon, I recommend that if you haven't started doing medical submissions, that you start to look at doing that. A um, couple of reasons for that. The reimbursement for services that could be covered under medical, the reimbursement is much better. And number two, I think that's where our industry is going. Right. Insurance companies don't like to have two different tracks. They don't like to have a whole division for dental, a whole division for medical because it's more expensive. They want to consolidate that. And you've seen that happening in that a lot of carriers are going, no, before we submit or before we process this dental claim, we want you to send it to medical first. That's kind of nudging people in that area. And to be honest with you, I see it changing in that direction because the old coding system based on service that you, you provided um, it's not adequate at this point. You, like medical, we need to have a diagnosis code prior to providing treatment, and treatment should be generated as, as a result of that diagnosis. So, if you haven't if you haven't dipped your toe in medical submissions, I encourage you. If you're going to do um, submissions for your patients, uh, be aware that there are services that we provide that could be covered under medical, and the reimbursement is much better. So start. If you haven't started doing that, um, I would encourage you over the next 12 months, dip your toe in that, start being becoming more familiar with because we're going to see that trend continue moving in that direction. 100%. And uh, a lot of dentists don't do it because they just don't understand it or they throw up the brake lights right away. No, 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 no. And they don't want to go in that direction. And um, tell me if this is correct from your vantage point. Um, it, it, another reason to do that is insurance companies are legally required to pay for conditions that would deteriorate a patient's oral health. Like, let's say you have a patient that's diabetic Mm -hmm. and we've gone in that direction or even cases with xerostomia, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, if you know enough and you can write the narratives with the codes, insurances have to pay, in some cases, the full fee of that. There's Mm -hmm. not a fee schedule. Is that true, Roy? Yeah, yeah. The insurance companies can't pick and choose about if it's medically necessary, if it's covered under the plan, you submit the claim If and the claim is correct, they're obligated by contract to pay that. They can't mm-hmm. say, oh, no, just don't feel like paying that today. No, if you meet the criteria and the patient meets the criteria and there is a legitimate medical cause for the dental um, issue that you're treating, yeah, it's pretty consistent as far as the coverage goes. Yeah. Awesome, buddy. I am so grateful to call you my friend because... Uh, 
I don't know what I would do without you. I think I would just like have a whole bunch of weird stuff going on in my brain and I'd be listening to, now I get a chance to go on this. I get, I mean, I'm like you, I'm on the road and we do education. I do something completely different than you do. And then you go to the bar with the dentist and man, the conversation can get weird. I'm like, where did you hear that? You know? And so, and then they start citing sources like YouTube and I'm like, oh no, this is going to get weird. And so I'm just going to say this. If you're a dentist, you need the help of somebody like Roy. You have to see Roy speak. You have to send your team to see Roy speak. Now, Roy, how the heck do I find you? How do I follow you? What do you do? Where can I find more of you? So I have a website. It's just my name, uh, R-O-Y-S-H-E-L-B-U-R-N-E um, dot com. So well, just um, now, come on, you do way more than that, buddy. Come on. You're such a humble guy. Let's say I got a hot mess going on in my office. Mm-hmm. Can I just call you and you can what, what can you help me with? Can you come to my office? Can you help me sort this thing? What can you do? Yeah. As far as documentation, billing, and coding, I can either do that remotely or on site, do audits and do a forensic analysis of both the documentation, the billing, and coding. And I can tell you there's not a single practice that I have been in that has not been leaving money on the table. So, you know, a lot of people go, are you going to scare me? And I, you know, you told me I don't want to scare you. I'd love to terrify people, but I like to give them the tools that they need to be able to implement so they don't have to be scared. You only have to be scared if you bury your head in the sand. So help with the, the audits, the consulting to help to increase reimbursement and to help to protect and defend practices. So do a lot of those. Um, I would much rather be able to do this more consistently before you get dinged, before you have the insurance company knocking at your door. I do after the fact to help through the process as far as auditing and kind of helping them through that process. But my joy is to do it before it happens. It's better to prevent than it is to, uh, to kind of pull people out of the mire once they're in it. So I, I do both. But, you know, I, I, my goal is to be the last dental professional who goes to prison for things they didn't know. And I want to help maximize the legitimate reimbursement that you're entitled to every single penny, no more, no less. Yeah. And Roy, you're such a humble guy. And I'm just going to, you know, as you can see, like Roy's a humble guy. But I'm going to tell you this. He's going to look at your dentrix and he's going to know more than all of you guys combined, if he just gets a peek at it and he'll give you so much insight to just keep you on the rails for more than anything, just to do it the right way. And heck, just by making a few tweaks, I promise you, your reimbursements are going to get better. Your documentation will get better. Your process will get better. You'll have a lot more peace of mind about the future, even if your practice is a hundred percent PPO. So, um, Roy, thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate you being on. So sure. always a pleasure. And you're, you're a trip to be able to spend some time with. I love the questions. You're 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 always so in it, so insightful. I appreciate being able to share that information. I got like seven more questions, dude, but I got I yeah, I I'm not That's kidding. another session, I guess, sometime down the road. Yeah, I actually want to have you back and uh, do a lot more about the coding. I actually want to go a little bit further on the medical piece of it in the verbal skills too, because um we have a lot of clients that are, you know, as they get involved in our process, they're trying to get rid of the PPOs. And I'll just say this, like some of you that are young, I want you to know one thing. There is no better way to ever do dentistry than to control your future. So if you're struggling with, oh, PPOs are just, no, that is not true. The better you get, the better you understand, the more you go to Roy's courses, get him, like the more you'll understand, no, I write my own ticket. 
I'm going to navigate how the heck I, you can actually work less. You don't have to work the evenings. You can get paid more for what you do. And like a lot of the dentists that you've talked about, Roy, some of them just went cold turkey and they go, dude, I produce the same amount, but I make like twice as much. And I actually cut out an extra day. Like, so it's a math problem that you need an expert mathematician to help with. And Roy is your your guy and that stuff. So So checking my calendar, we're actually going to do a live boot camp in Charlotte, North Carolina on November the 18th and 19th. It's a two-day, very immersive uh, documentation, billing coding, both medical and dental for those two days. So um, have not gotten the website up to be able to take registrations, but it's going to be limited to about 30 heads. So if anybody out there wants uh, heads up to be able to get enrolled in that, we'd love to be able to do that. We're going to equip you to be able to do um, amazing things in your insurance reimbursement world. So if you're, if, like I said, November 18th, 19th in Charlotte, if they want to do that, love to have them. Hey, buddy, I want to go. Like, I, I'm not kidding. I want to learn a lot. Um, so please, if you would, just give me that link. Now, if you're listening on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, you guys, I'm going to put everything, uh, our show notes, people, they'll put all, everything that Roy has mentioned, it's in the show notes. So just flip up to the notes. You're going to see the link to Roy's course. I'm going to highly encourage you to take it. Uh, and uh, it'll all be there. So thank you so much, Roy. Awesome. Well, stick around while I say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show. Hey! If you enjoyed today, just do us a favor. Hit the share button. Share this with your friends. Tell your friends about this show. You know why? Because I get to help other people like you and protect this great profession. I'm going to have Roy back again and again and again. And we're going to, you know, you should have an annual update with us, Roy. Like changes in 2023, changes in 2024. Um, those, Those actually were decided on in March. I can't disclose information until October, but I know what the code changes are for 23. So maybe we can do that. Yeah. Well, we're going to do that. And you're going to tell us about the changes, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. The show will get weirder every year. (laughs) I found on it. I'll, I'll have to like take a breath in between the, I'm like, no way. Come on. Seriously. So, um, it'll be fun. So thank you guys for listening to the best practices show until we see you next time. Keep watching and we'll see you soon. Have a great day, everybody. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm gonna spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.